0: I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the Jay worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. Greetings, my good people. What is happening? What is going on? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well. As we close out the month of October... And I'll have plenty of sports tricks and lots of treats to deliver for you here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 161 episodes, I welcome you guys back. If you haven't done so already, for my new listeners or even for my old ones, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, even Amazon Music. Just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, I greatly appreciate it. It is a Monday, October the twenty sixth in the year of our Lord two thousand and twenty. J Reels, what's the deal? Segment. What to expect here on this podcast is as follows: Antonio Brown. Remember him? He has found the new address. So, what does that mean for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they were victorious yesterday out in Las Vegas, a five and two record, as they increase and trend upward in the NFC? I'll break down that signing as well as everything that's happening in week seven, the winners and losers segment, as we'll touch on everything that's happening in the National Football League. Also with college football, the Big Ten introduces itself to the season, and we already had a major upset in that conference as Penn State bows down to Indiana. I'll break that all down in a pretty much so-so ho-hum college football Saturday. We did have some news and notes coming out of the college circuit, so please stay tuned for that. We'll also get into the NBA as they're looking to start their upcoming season as early as the week before Christmas. A 72 game schedule is intact, but still remains to be seen how this will all be ironed out as the decision may come down next week. I'll touch on that. Also, my hero and zero of the week. But I'm going to kick off this podcast, actually going to bookend it with a thought that occurred to me during game one of the World Series. It's actually a sports dilemma that no one seems to be aware of or even has discussed When it comes to the sports talk circles Whether it's TV, radio, even podcasts for that matter And instead of sharing that right at the outset Not to cast a gloom and doom cloud over the rest of this podcast Because as everybody knows I deal in the reality And certainly do not want to be the bearer of bad news To get us started on this podcast But the one thing for the casual or the diehard fan like myself It's certainly going to ring true, especially if it happens to be as early as tomorrow night where we'll have a game six of the World Series. So please stay tuned for that commentary because it's one that's going to be very sobering. And again, not that many people have even talked about it, if any. And you're going to hear it right here later on in this podcast. But with the World Series, game six will be tomorrow We may be able to finally crown a champion in Los Angeles as the Dodgers and we know the whole resume of the last eight years and everything that has transpired with the Dodgers and we're not going to go back into the history books to discuss because if you follow baseball throughout the last decade, you know that the Dodgers have hit up on some hard times, whether it's in the first round as you saw last year against the Nationals or in past World Series in 2017-2018. Well, right now, they're on the cusp of winning a World Series after what was just a whirlwind of a five games, especially the last two games. But as we get into the Fall Classic, with the Dodgers having a 3-2 lead, I know everybody's going to talk about what happened Saturday night, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But as we do a brief recap of the series going back to Game 1, and it started off pretty much with Cody Bellinger's home run, which set the tone for that game, where... A lot of the focus going into that game was Clayton Kershaw and everything that he has done, not just this postseason, which has been very successful for him to date, but just the back of his playoff baseball card, knowing that he's had two good starts in this postseason heading into the World Series. But a lot of people were wondering whether or not he was going to continue to cast a spell over the Rays hitters, similar to what he did in the previous two series against the Braves and also the San Diego Padres. And pretty much what you saw was a dominant Kershaw, a guy who looked like the Hall of Famer that he's going to be at some point down the road, a guy that a lot of people look at as the best pitcher of this generation, and he answered the bell in that game one. And like I said, with the Dodgers striking first with the Cody Bellinger home run, that set the tone for game one. You also had a wild Tyler Glass now on the Tampa Bay Rays side, Kershaw's counterpart, Glasnow who does have electric stuff but was all over the place to the tune of 112 pitches walking six guys actually left in the game much longer than a lot of people would have thought considering the formula of the Rays is pretty much similar to the Dodgers where they want to go right to their bullpen and we all know the Rays bullpen is their strength but for Glasnow to throw as many pitches as he did and the manager not pulling him when he should have Just made it a long night for the Rays In their opening game of the World Series To the tune of an 8-3 loss I understand they mounted a mild comeback there In the 7th inning Which was thwarted there by that double play That line shot right back up the middle Where it was caught by the pitcher and thrown out At second But game one in the books and a lot of people thought You can't base a series on one game But it looked like the Dodgers were going to Steamroll to a championship There were even people in some circles Thought that it could possibly be a sweep But game two was not to be the case. Blake Snell, who is a guy that I compared to as a Scott Casimir 2.0, I understand it may be a little bit harsh considering Casimir never turned out or panned out to be the left-hander that a lot of people thought he was going to be considering he was drafted by the Mets there going way back. And he has won a Cy Young, so to his credit, he's done a lot more in his career than Scott Casimir has. But the comparisons from him to Casimir, were guys that were high-volume pitch guys that could strike people out, great stuff, but can't go past five innings or seem to go even into a fifth inning because of his lack of control and lack of location. But Snell, who had a no-hitter going into the fifth inning, came across a little bit of trouble there, but the Rays were keyed by the Brandon Lau home run to lead off the game. Actually had two for the game and a very timely two-out hit by Joey Wendell, which to me was the biggest hit of the game because it gave them a little bit of a cushion, gave them a little bit of a lead. I understand that the Dodgers chipped away, but it was too little too late as they ended up losing 6-4. And then that set the stage for the weekend where we figured that we were going to have at least those five games, hopefully pushing it to a six if the Rays were able to steal one of those three games over the weekend. And game three was pretty much, I'm not going to say a bore, But it was a foregone conclusion that Walker Bueller had his stuff. One run, three hits over six innings with ten strikeouts. And Charlie Morton did not. And the Dodgers cruised to a easy 6-2 victory. But the game Saturday night was going to be not only the highlight game of this series. Because we can't expect another game like that. Whether it be tomorrow night or if it does go to a seventh game. But as we all know, that was one for the ages. That was a game that was as compelling. Was a 15-round heavyweight fight. Of boxing back in the day. And there's so many different angles. So many different managerial decisions. Just a lot of drama. A lot of confusion. If you're a fan of both teams. The Dodgers and the Rays. With how these managers handle certain situations. And that one could be a podcast all unto itself. But you had a situation there in game four. And I'm going to start off just with the Dodger offense. I can't believe how many two out hits they got in this game. Considering that all seven of their runs came with two outs. And pretty much throughout this postseason, it's been historic and documented as you've seen on the graphics over the course of this postseason, how they've been able to get the timely hit and especially with two outs because what's going to win you a championship is not only great pitching, but the timely hitting because every game can't be 8-3 to three or 7-1 to one, and every game can't have the cushion of just home runs or being able to get out in front with rallies that are less than two out or not being able to get that clutch hit when it's most needed and the Dodgers have been able to do that throughout this whole postseason and it was indicative of what we saw this Saturday night but even with all that being said it still wasn't enough to overcome what took place in that ninth inning and before I even get to that it was just amazing to witness what was unfolding in that game when you look at the starter for the Dodgers Julio Urias who was mowing through the Ray lineup. Now there was a couple of speed bumps there toward the end of his outing as he was approaching the end of the fifth inning. He had already pitched four and two thirds. And then for Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, to come out to get the ball from Urias, and I'm sure he was exasperated, was just the beginning of the end for some of the moves that he made. And we've talked about this time after time after time, how both of these teams Doesn't matter what the payrolls are, doesn't matter how many superstar players are on the Dodgers roster, and the Rays pretty much have a bunch of nondescript guys, when the formula is the same, when it's all about the analytics, when it's all about the numbers, etc., it just goes to show you that you can have the 27 Yankees on this stage, and as long as there's analytics in the game, they may even pinch it for Babe Ruth, that's how bad it is. And in the case where Urias, and I'm not trying to make him out to be Sandy Koufax, but with the way he performed there Saturday night, can you at least get him through that inning? Why did you have to bring in Blake Trinan to get that final out, which he did on the next pitch? But it just made no sense when let Urias get out of that inning, you get five clean innings from him, and he was pitching great. Made no sense. And then even with Trinan in the game, and he gets into a little bit of trouble there in that sixth inning, and then for him to bring in Pedro Baez to pitch to... Brandon Lau, when they were down 4-2. Baez is a guy that's been buried in that bullpen and has struggled throughout. And for him to come into that spot where I get that he doesn't have a lot of lefties that he could trust, the Adam Kolarik's of the world, and he's pretty much the only lefty that you could throw there in that spot. But for him to put in Baez, who is a soft-tossing right-handed pitcher and Trinan, as we all know, has that power arm, and for him to come up to give up the go-ahead home run in that spot I do not understand what Roberts was thinking. And again, he must have looked at some stats. Maybe Baez, for whatever the reason, was going to be able to get out of that jam or get out of that situation where he figured that it was a good matchup for Baez to Lau. And nobody's going to mistake Lau to be Lou Gehrig. But can we get Trinan to get that last out there? It just boggles the mind how these managers operate when it comes to not only with the rotations and with the way the bullpens are deployed But even in a case where the lineups and how these pinch hitters come in in these situations. So now I got to turn this over to Kevin Cash and the Rays because there was one spot later on in the game where he pinch hit Austin Matthews for Manuel Margot. And Margot, who has been a very solid and steady performer here in this postseason and quite frankly has been one of their better hitters throughout. And Austin Matthews, I, to this day, I still can't believe how he hit that home run off of Garrett Cole. And again, he's a major league player. I can't knock him from that regard. He's done a lot more than I have as far as trying to reach into the major leagues. Because Lord knows I've been nowhere near it. Although that was a goal from a a little young type that I was many, many years ago. But for him to put Matthews there just to get a lefty righty there to take out Margot, who is a good defensive player, obviously a very heady player, and has been a good stick throughout this postseason. To me, it absolutely made no sense. And again, I'm not trying to slaughter Austin Matthews as him as a player and as a bat. Because he has been productive in his major league career. But he has not done anything in his postseason. And just look at the numbers. And as it was, and as you've seen, and even last night he was came into the game in a pinch hitting role. Has done squat. He's been an automatic out. So when you look at the combination of all of what the managers have done here. Especially in that game 4 It just it doesn't even make you shake your head It makes you want to pull your hair out of your head And I don't even have a rooting interest for either one of these teams So then now, let's get to the ninth inning And once Kenley Jansen comes into the game I knew right away, I said this is going to be trouble Jansen as we've seen, his velocity has gone down And give it up to him, he's gone through a lot of medical issues with his heart And he's come back from it It's been a great story in that regard But Jansen is certainly not the guy that we once seen being a dominant back-of-the-end closer. And arguably, he was one of the top three or four closers in the game if you're looking at it two, three, four years ago. But now, he couldn't even get me out in a big spot. And we saw what happened there Saturday night to the tune of where you had Brett Phillips, a guy that you could also put into the pantheon of postseason heroes with a one Francisco Cabrera. Remember him? 92, Atlanta Braves, Game 7, of The NLCS against the Pittsburgh Pirates the hit to left field That sent them to the World Series Sid Bream coming around third It seemed like it took an hour and a half Well you could put his name up there Now granted They would need to win this series In order for it to really stick But he will forever be etched Into World Series history For a guy that had two at-bats in the postseason A 200 batting average in the regular season A bit player on the team And he came through In a tremendous spot Base hit there The muff in the outfield by Chris Taylor, the throw home to where Will Smith, although it was cut off by Muncie, he throws it to the plate. Will Smith drops the ball. Randy who who is rounding third, stumbling, bumbling, fumbling, and he was dead to rights. And then for him to actually crawl to the plate, slap it three times for the winning run, to me, that's the beauty of sports. And also the unpredictability and the theater of sports because it doesn't get any better than that on that stage, championship setting, a crucial game four where the Rays absolutely had to have it, and as we've seen throughout that game, it was just back and forth, in and out, up and down, wherever the Rays scored, the Dodgers answered back, and then the Rays said, okay, well, I'll do one better, but then the Dodgers said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to take this to another level, and then the Rays came back. It was a game for the ages. And it's very rare to get that game four, because usually with World Series games, it's either obviously going to be a game seven, or even, let's say, a game six, because as we've seen over the years, there's been unbelievable and memorable game sixes going all the way back to even 1985, the Don Denkager game with St. Louis and Kansas City the year after that, obviously with the Mets and the Red Sox, the Buckner play, 2011, St. Louis and Texas, and how that went down with David Freese. So you've had all these game sixes which are for the ages but really a game four and you got that there Saturday night to the tune where if the Rays were able to then take that momentum into a game five where Tyler Glass now was looking to redeem himself from game one and this was the pivotal game of Clayton Kershaw's career. I don't want to hear it. I've said it on Twitter and argued with people left and right after Kershaw's game one performance. I said that doesn't matter what he did in game one. If there's a game five in the series, especially if it's tied 2 two, the spotlight will be on number 22 in a gray uniform for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was good. He was not great. Far from spectacular. And certainly faced a crucial spot of the game where it was three to two. He had a three nothing lead. They cut it to three two. And that bottom four where it was first and third and nobody out. And I thought to myself, this is it. This is where Kershaw is going to make his chops here, not only in this World Series, but for his career, if he doesn't get out of it. Well, after a pop-up and a strikeout, and then I understand a lot of people will look at why was Margot trying to steal home. I can't kill him for that. I understand he's not Vince Coleman on the base pass. He's not Ricky Henderson. But what he saw there, trying to get the leads to distract him on third base, because remember, he was on third base that whole time, pretty much the whole inning, until he was able to steal, so when we see Clayton Kershaw get to that set, that high set, and knowing that it takes a lot of time for him to drop the glove, get in his motion, it's just unfortunate that he was unable to beat the tag because that would have been a stolen base that we haven't seen since Jackie Robinson, and we're going back now 70 some odd years. But when Margot, and it looked like he may have been in at fast speed, But obviously the replay showed that he was tagged out. And to me, that was the game. And once again, I can't kill Margot for that decision. He was watching Kershaw throughout that whole inning. He probably thought if he got a good enough jump, he was going to be able to get in under the tag. And considering that Kershaw has a very slow delivery to the plate. And the throw was actually high, which benefited Margot. But the catcher, I believe it was Austin Barnes. Oh no, it was Will Smith. He was able to get the tag down. And to me, that was the biggest play of the game because the Rays were not heard from the rest of the night. I get it that you had a threat there in the eighth inning where you had runners on first and second and a Reina came up and he flied out. And then that was pretty much the game there for the Rays. And now we have a game six to look ahead to tomorrow night where the pitching matchup does favor the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell, as I mentioned before, had that no-hitter going into the fifth inning. Even with the day off today The one thing that they need from Snell If I'm Kevin Cash Is six innings It's not a matter of resting the bullpen At this point the Dodgers have seen that Tampa Bay bullpen Inside and out upside down So there's not going to be an advantage To the Bullpen of the Rays At this juncture of the series Considering we're getting deeper into it But my point is Is that if Snell could give him six solid innings And then you could go to Castillo Anderson maybe loop depending on the situation whether you have Seeger who's been killing the ball and I think he's going to be the MVP of the series Bellinger obviously the left-handed bats there Max Muncy guys like that but you figure they're going to go to their horses there at the end 7, 8, and 9 which would be the recipe to get a victory if you're the Rays at this point point. and one other thing about Muncy if I may add now he did hit a bomb to make the game 4-2. What was that? In the top of the fifth inning. But for him to drop the bat. And stare at the ball as if he's Reggie Jackson. I mean give me a break. Muncy's a guy who has a big mouth. He has a lot to say. I get it that he got into that back and forth. With Madison Bumgarner a couple of years ago. Where Bumgarner got in his case. And then Muncy said well hey strike me out. If you don't want me to hit the balls into the uh, McCovey Cove. Out in San Francisco. And I get Muncy's point. But at the same time. You are nowhere near the class of those two Hall of Famers and for him to just stand there at home plate dropping the bat the way Reggie once did I, I was just appalled and God rest his soul if Bob Gibson was pitching on the raise that next that bat whoa you could guarantee that the next pitch would have been up and in if not probably to the ear flap and I understand it may be a little bit strong I get that and I understand that baseball's not played today the way it was yesteryear but at the same time for Muncie to do that I mean please give me a break and I understand other people do that too. You know, Manny Machado throwing the bat the way he did. And I get that's the game today. But when you just stand at home plate and admire a shot like that, uh, geez, come on. You know, maybe if you're Cody Bellinger, okay, or Mookie Betts. And I wouldn't even expect those guys to do it. And Belger has thrown the bat down as he did in game one. But, you know, the guy did win an MVP. And the guy's been a top player over the last few years. But Mac Muncie, I mean, please. You can spare me on that. And now we'll see how Tampa responds here tomorrow night. Because to me, I think the key is Snell getting a just as deep as he can in this ballgame. Because if you're Kevin Cash, you have to go to your analytics department and say, I got to ride my horse until the wheels fall off. So even if he throws 110 pitches, hopefully it's not in four and a third innings, but if he throws in upwards of 100 to 110 pitches and gets through five, hopefully, or maybe even into the sixth inning, he's not going to pitch game seven. He's not going to come in in relief. So, if this is going to be his blaze of glory, his last chance to give everything he's got, this is it. So, you got to ride him. I don't want him coming out, let's say, even after five and he's thrown 81 pitches. Uh, Please. I mean, for them to even think about doing that is preposterous. But, as we get, that's how baseball is. And that's why the analytics, it just drives you crazy. And I understand J Reels, all right, get off of it. This is the way baseball is in 2020. Relax, stop it. We don't want to hear it anymore. But it just bothers me to no end. That if it's the bottom of the ninth and you know you need base runners, but the analytics say don't take a strike because chances are you're going to get a first pitch fastball. So you want to swing at it because that may be the best pitch you're going to see in that bat. Because as we all know, a walk is as good as a hit. It's always good to take a strike. And it's not a matter of just the first pitch. You got guys at 2-0 swinging at that pitch or even 1-0 swinging at a pitch. Take a strike. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you. Even if the count is 2-1, they're still probably going to get another decent pitch. So for the analytics just to say, ah, swing at the first pitch, we'd rather have a strikeout than a walk. It's just, come on. I mean, is this really the way baseball is going to be played from here to the day I die? And it's just an absolute joke. I, I, just, I hate to see... How the influence of the analytics is just To me is just destroying the game And I've said it before I'll say it again It's almost as if these guys These nerds who can never swing at a pitch To save their lives Couldn't throw a ball as far as they could sneeze And they want to not only just reinvent the game But they want to predict Or figure out the game Before it's actually played Which to me I understand there's preparation There's video analysis. There's so many ways to kind of look at how we could forecast the game. But for them to try to do that before actually, the game actually starts, the best example of that, look at Aaron Boone before game two of the division series against the Rays, him pitching Davey Garcia for one inning. But because the Rays stacked the lineup with left-handed bats, well, let me take him out and put Jay Happ, who's a left-handed pitcher, to go up against those left-handed bats. And what happened? So it's almost as if the brain trust of the Yankees or the brain trust of any team wants to say, well, hey, if they're going to put this type of lineup in, maybe we should come at them this way. Uh, Stop. It's just a complete waste of time. And the true baseball fans spots it a mile away. But again, that's how it is in 2020. Hopefully it's the last time you hear me talk about analytics, especially from a baseball perspective. And we'll wait to see what happens there tomorrow night. Hopefully it does get pushed to a seventh game. I want to see a seventh game. I'm sure the ratings will be fantastic. I can imagine what the rating was Saturday night. Even though it is a Saturday night, it is a COVID world. How many people are out, etc. But I just hope that we could see another seven game series and let it just come down to that between Walker Bueller and Charlie Morton if there were to be a game seven. So that pretty much sums up the World Series to date. We'll keep our eye on what's going to happen here tomorrow night. As we move along here on the podcast And we're going to get into the NFL right now Where week 7 will close tonight in LA Where the Bears and Rams Good game Although I think the Bears are paper Tigers And the Rams are coming off a loss to the Niners last week on Sunday night So at least you have a very decent game to watch To close out your week 7 And before I even get to the winners and losers of yesterday I know we got a couple of news and notes Off the field before we get started you had a trade, and I believe the trade deadline is next Tuesday, which would be November the 3rd. It happens to be on election day, so. With the Ravens looking for a pass rush, and with Yannick Ngakwe being traded from Jacksonville to Minnesota, and with the Vikings looking like they're ready to punt on their season, they trade Ngakwe to the Ravens for, I believe, a second-round pick next year, and maybe another pick as well. Let's see if that upgrade is going to help the Ravens where they had a bye week yesterday and they're going to play the Steelers this week which you know I'll talk about later on but big trade for the Ravens to shore up their pass rush and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a lot of rumors about Antonio Brown going to Seattle you heard Russell Wilson throughout the week having a relationship with him thinking that he's not only gotten past a lot of the foibles and a lot of his transgressions that he had in the offseason and pretty much the last year plus Since his departure from Pittsburgh Well the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came right on in And his former offensive coordinator of the Steelers Bruce Arians decided that We need a wide receiver Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have been nicked up here Brown who is a Florida guy Doesn't have to go too far Actually have to drive up the turnpike to get to Tampa To be a part of a team Which is now looking like it's starting to come into its own After that tough loss in Chicago a couple weeks back with back-to-back wins against Green Bay And then yesterday against Las Vegas Brown who is not eligible to play until week 9 And has to go through some COVID protocols For $2.5 million the rest of the way He's going to be part of the fold And the wide receiver core To go along with Rob Gronkowski And the aforementioned Mike Evans And Chris Godwin He'll be an upgrade if his head is on straight uh, There's no if ands, buts about it Now he is 32 years old We get he's only played one game in the last couple of years, that one game as a member of the Patriots last year down in Miami where he had four catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. But you would think this is going to be his last hurrah. This would be his attempt to try to get not only just back in the league, but get back into some good graces that if he wants to get one last contract and not that he's going to get anything astronomical. But if everything does work out here with Tampa and has a successful season for him, Maybe he could parlay that into another contract a couple of years for another team down the road. But as of right now, to bring a talent like him onto your team certainly is going to be an upgrade. And as a guy that should be on his best behavior, I'm sure Brady will take him under his wing, have him live with him for the rest of the season, and let's see where the chips will fall as far as Tampa being successful this year. So you have that. And then now as we transition into the winners and losers, my first winner is the Arizona Cardinals. Now remember that game was flexed to the Sunday night football schedule because of the COVID cases that had come up in the middle of the week with Trent Brown, the offensive line and for the offensive lineman for the Raiders, but they were all deemed healthy. As you saw, they played yesterday, not a good performance by the Raiders there as we'll talk about in a minute, but for Arizona to be in prime time, a four and two record, a team that a lot of people know that they're good, but they haven't really seen because of where they play and even though they have a guy like Kyler Murray there, and we all know about Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, they have great offensive talent. But with the comeback that they had yesterday, they were down 27-13, early third quarter, and 34-24 midway through the fourth. For them to bounce back against the Seattle team, which that defense isn't that good either. I mean, nobody's going to confuse them with the legion of boom. But with the game going into overtime, it had a costly turnover there with the interception by Russell Wilson there with about... A minute and change to go. And then Zeng Gonzalez, who missed the field goal earlier in regulation, which would have sent them victorious and on their way to a five-and-two record, had to be put on hold. He did get the winner in overtime. 37-34. So kudos to the Cardinals. Five and two, most definitely in the mix there in the NFC West and a just a tightly contested NFC West. So kudos to them. And they're my number one winner of the week. The second winner of the week, and I'll talk about them now in the game, might as well just to get it over with, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now that was a game that looked like it was a carbon copy of the week before, the way the Steelers dominated the Cleveland Browns, but this time on the road against the undefeated Tennessee Titans. And they came right out of the gate with a long nine-minute drive to start the game, which ended up in a touchdown. Then you had a three and out by the Titan offense Only for the Steelers to get back out 7 minute drive Another touchdown It just dominated that whole first quarter and change To the tune of a 24-7 halftime lead Titans then go 3 and out to start The second half The Steelers come back with a field goal 27-7 And you're thinking this is going to be all gravy Wasn't the case Two plays into their next drive A 73 yard touchdown by A.J. Brown Made it 27-14 And then they just chipped away a field goal later, a touchdown, a turnover by Roethlisberger, an interception, which was tipped at the line of scrimmage, 27 24, 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and then you're thinking if the Steelers blow this game, this would be a not only just a brutal, but a crushing loss. Because for the Steelers to be up by 20, even on the road, and I understand against a good opponent, would be inexcusable. But the defense, they bent a little bit, maybe a little bit more for the Steel fan than they would like, but they didn't break. And even at the end there where Roethlisberger threw that interception right after the two minute warning, which was a little dicey because it was a third and 12 if they would have tried to at least get close to the first down marker. And I get that the field goal still would have made it a situation where if the Titans would have went down the field to get a touchdown and an extra point, they would have lost the game. But I thought it was a little risky for Roethlisberger to make that throw. He threw it in triple coverage into the end zone where Juju Smith-Schuster had a handle on the ball, but... Was no way Shape or form Going to be able to Catch that pass With all that traffic In front of him So then the Titans Move down the field They're able to get Steve Goskowski In field goal range To the tune of a 48 yard field goal And what does he do As the ball is up And it looks like It's about to go through It starts to sail Wide right And the Steelers Hung on They Walked out of there Ran out of The old LP field I don't even know They've had a million names Nissan Stadium Whatever the name of the stadium Is called down in Tennessee, six and zero—the last undefeated team in the National Football League. Who would have thought that the Steelers would be that? And now they get the rest, albeit for a day or two, because they have the Ravens upcoming on the schedule. And we'll talk about that matchup as we get to next week's schedule. But just a a tremendous start to that game for the Steelers and their offense. Yes, they did hang on by their fingernails, but it doesn't matter. You take wins, however you could get them, whether you come from behind in a game that you had no business of winning. Or a game that you were dominant from the start And you just barely hang on Doesn't matter You get a victory against a very good opponent You don't have to worry about tiebreakers With Tennessee down the road And for what it's worth They're the last team standing As far as not having a blemish In the loss column For this 2020 season Now to my losers of the week For a second week in a row I gotta give it to the New England Patriots Not to say that they were Going to be heavily favored Or that they we're going to win against a Niner team that got their sea legs after a win against the Rams last week, which was a boom or bust game for them. And they had to come cross country to Foxborough. But for the first time in the Bill Belichick era at home, they were as non-competitive as you could possibly be. And you almost had to rub your eyes to think that once you see the final score. And to know that Jimmy Garoppolo did not have a big game, same for George Kittle, which you knew Bill Belichick was going to Wipe him out of the game plan for the Niners. But when you have a running back, Jeff Wilson, who had three touchdowns and certainly was probably not on the radar of Bill Belichick, no matter how much of a mastermind and a scientist that he is, but to lose 33-6 at home and then Cam Newton with his three interceptions, he got benched for Jared Stidham. It does not bode well for the Patriots moving forward. And I'm not ready to bury them yet, but they have a season-defining game coming up this Sunday, which pretty much... If you want to start throwing dirt on the Patriots, you can now, but we'll see after this coming week. And I'll go through the schedule in a minute because this could be it for them for 2020. And a lot of people could rejoice and say, Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about the Patriots at all, but it's going to be a true test for them and what they have in their schedule this coming Sunday, which, let's face it, their season is going to be on the line with this game. And also, I understand that their offensive talent is minimal, they don't have a lot of playmakers there on offense. And their defense, despite Stephon Gilmore, their defense to me has always been overrated. All those DVOA, and again, going back to the analytics and the statistics of how they performed in those first eight weeks last year, they were already claiming to be the 85 Bears. But as we saw down the stretch, the real New England Patriots defense were to stand up and to be shown to the whole world as a not a big time defense. I get it. This is a down year and finally a down year, even with Tom Brady And his exploits and what they're doing down in Tampa I'm sure it's got to be rough for New England But for them to put up a stinker like that At home yesterday and to be non-competitive They're my first loser of the week And then secondly And this is a harsh one But I'm only going to say it because They could have been in the mix for the NFC South But the Carolina Panthers That was a tough loss in New Orleans yesterday And I get that as you're trying to Get yourself in field goal position Just to fast forward late in the game They were back and forth the Saints had a field goal there In the fourth quarter I guess about seven minutes to go And on the next drive They took about five minutes To get into St. Territory There was a third and 11 from the 39 they Had a chance to At least get a little bit closer To try to get themselves In field goal range But Bridgewater takes a sack And I get it was a Hail Mary Of all Hail Marys But for Matt Rule To bring in his kicker Indoors I get it With no elements To attempt a 65 yard field goal they were probably better off trying to force a play, maybe get a flag. And I understand it was desperate times there. It was right after the two-minute warning. They had to do whatever it takes. But to me, I thought maybe taking a shot, and that would have been, I guess, a fourth and 21, but a 65-yard field goal, that was just a a tough one to swallow for the Carolina Panthers. And right now, they're three and four. They could have been four and three and had a, a tiebreaker, an early tiebreaker against the Saints, but it wasn't to be. So, they get my second loser of the week. And as I said last week, this week seven schedule was very lame, to say the least. And you had some thrilling endings in certain games. I know if you're Todd Gurley, he's probably, he couldn't sleep a wink last night. He had an opportunity to run the clock out, kick a field goal, get the game in Atlanta's favor, and go home with a victory. But he ends up crossing the goal line to get a touchdown. They had to go for two to make the game 22 16. But what was that worth? With a minute and change to go, Matthew Stafford goes down the field on the last play of the game. They punch it in the end zone, kick an extra point and the Falcons who always find new ways to lose. Another heartbreaker, 23-22 where the Lions were able to prevail there thanks to Todd Gurley's mishap. And what could you say if you're a Falcon fan? You can't blame the coach this time around. I mean, Gurley, who I believe signed a one-year contract, he's not going to be long to be on this team anyway, but More frustration mounts there down in Atlanta. You also had the Bengals in just another tough loss. Great performance by Joe Burrow. But the final seconds where Baker Mayfield throws that touchdown in the corner to Donovan Peoples-Jones with about 11 seconds to go. And this is a game where Odell Beckham Jr., just reading a report earlier, has a torn ACL. And you're not going to see OBJ for the rest of this year, which certainly is not going to help the Browns. And their chances of making it to the postseason. Now they have a 5-2 and two record right now. But we all know. They've beaten the Bengals twice. The Redskins. Let me see them beat a big team. Along the way here. And their schedule is not going to get any easier. They still have to go to Tennessee. They play Baltimore and Pittsburgh again. Both in their building this time around. But let me see them do big things against those type of teams. And then maybe we could talk. But without Beckham Jr. in the lineup. It's certainly going to hurt them. But a big win for the Browns yesterday. As they beat the Bengals in the closing seconds. Out in Cincinnati. I mean what could you say for some of these other games. Give it up for the Washington football team. Winning 25-3 against the. Cowboys. And you had an incident there where. John Bostic just. Nearly beheaded. Andy Dalton. Where he was taken out of the game. And it looks like he's not going to be suspended. He's definitely going to be fined. But I'm sure. Jerry Jones and company. They're going to pitch a bitch to the powers that be at the NFL to see if they can get a suspension because that was just a dangerous hit to go back to the Thursday night game I know it was thrilling to the end where Carson Wentz threw a picture-perfect pass to Boston Scott to get the game-winning score but I know that game is going to be marred by the Daniel Jones 80-yard run and I guess he tripped over the 15-yard line maybe or who knows but between that and the Evan Ingram drop which would have iced the game for the Giants those are the two things that stick out in a long Giants season so far But to turn the attention to yesterday's games Not going to get crazy about the Bills Kicking six field goals to beat the Jets And even though the Jets had a 10-0 lead And they were competitive throughout But they remain the only team winless In the sport As they're now 0-7 Are you going to get crazy about Kansas City's victory In Denver 43-16 Where we saw some snow on the ground Which shows that the colder weather is coming But now it looks like they have another weapon In their arsenal Where one Byron Pringle had a 102-yard kickoff return. So is that a guy we need to look out for to be a part of this dynamic chief offense? Remains to be seen. Jacksonville and LA. Give it up to Justin Herbert. who has been stupendous here. looks like it's going to be between him and Joe Burrow to be the rookie of the year. 347 yards in the air. 39-29 against Jacksonville. But again, are you going to go crazy over that game? Absolutely not. Green Bay. 21-0 first half lead. 28-7 to cruise to a 35-20 victory as the woes in Houston continue I touched on a little bit early on with Tampa and the Vegas Raiders competitive game early on into the second half but they cruised where Brady was just magnificent again Tampa showing and proving that they're going to be an NFC powerhouse to go along with the likes of Seattle and Green Bay 45-20 Raiders have now regressed here over the last couple of weeks after that big win in Kansas City so you kind of wonder where the Raiders are going to be in the mix as far as not only just for the division which looks like it's going to be out of reach even with the victory over the Chiefs a couple of weeks back but with the new digs doesn't seem to change the culture and the outcome of the organization so Chucky and the Raiders have to go back to the drawing board and what else do we have? I mean that's pretty much it your buys yesterday as I mentioned earlier about Baltimore well also Miami Minnesota and Indianapolis Let's see I pretty much covered all the games there yesterday And as we look ahead to week 8 Your primetime games again Might as well go to bed early because you will not miss out on anything Atlanta at Carolina Your Sunday afternoon game of the week Seattle hosting San Francisco Which that's a good game now and it's a huge game for San Francisco Because they want to get back into the mix there in the NFC West And Seattle coming off that loss last night against Arizona. So you know they want to get back on the beam. You're a Sunday night game. And as crazy as this is going to sound. The winner of this game is going to have a leg up on the division. Dallas at Philadelphia. We get the two markets. We understand it's the star. But can they flex this game out? I know it's too late. They got to do it two weeks in advance. And I'm sure starting week 10 I believe you could flex these games. If need be. But man that is just. Oh my goodness. And then your Monday night game is Tampa at the Giants. The NFL, let's face it, they have gone through some tough sledding with some of these marquee matchups in primetime. They have not had a lot of sexy games here to at least make you want to watch a quarter, let alone the whole game, because this is as bad as it gets. And when we look at the Sunday schedule, your highlight game for the second week in a row involves the Pittsburgh Steelers and they go to Baltimore. And I'm going to say this real quick. With the Baltimore coming off a bye and the Steelers coming off a hard fought game, I could see this being, I'm not going to say a Baltimore route, but I wouldn't be surprised if Baltimore gives Pittsburgh their first loss. If somehow, some way, the Steelers come out with a victory here, this will be monumental. And I hope the Steelers win. We all know that. And I cannot stand the Ravens. And a quick message to my guy, Stephen A. Smith. I know he's not listening, but for those who do listen to Stephen A. Smith, He needs to stop with the Cowboy hate quick, fast, and in a hurry. And the ironic thing is that the Steelers play the Cowboys the following week. So if he wants to puff his chest out and do the Ted DiBiase strut, what I don't care what he wants to do then. If he wants to rag on the Cowboys then, okay, fine. But for him to pick on a team that, let's face it, lost their quarterback and lost their backup quarterback yesterday, and he wants to gloat to the Cowboy fan how bad they are, can you direct that energy toward the Ravens? Because that's what you need to focus on your sports hate. Time after time after time, to see him with this laughing about the Cowboys, it's a waste of time. And I understand there are 4,000 Raven fans compared to the zillion of Cowboy fans that are out there. So it's not as if he's going to get under the Raven fan skin because you can't even find any. But at the same time, stop it with the Cowboys. Nobody cares. It's tired. It's old. Let it go. It would be actually more fascinating, more interesting if he directed that toward the Ravens because I would look at that and say, yeah, come on, let's start it up. You want to wake up a fan base that's pretty much in the mid-Atlantic region? We understand that they're not a national team and you're not going to have a Raven fan west of Annapolis, Maryland, but at the same time, stop it already, please. I, I'd rather him say, oh, we're going to bottle up Lamar Jackson. Oh, that Raven defense is overrated. Uh, John Harbaugh doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, that that's what I want to hear. Can I get that instead? So that just bothers me to no end. But anyway, I digress. Point of the matter is that this is going to be a tough game for the Steelers to win. That's all there is to it. And I hope they could do what they can to win the game or at least be competitive. And I think they'll be competitive. But would you be surprised if the Ravens win a 23-13 type game? Or a 23-16 type game? I wouldn't be surprised. So we'll see how that game shakes down. But the other game that's going to be of note and it's fascinating to me what is New England, Bill Belichick, and their game plan going to be when they have to go to Buffalo to face the Bills? And I understand that may be comical to the Patriot fan or even to the NFL fan, like, ah, Jay Reels, please, come on, they're going to Buffalo. Like, what's Buffalo gonna do? Well, they could pretty much end the Patriot season as we know it right now with a victory. Because with the Bills at five and two and the Patriots at two and four, this will end their season for all intents and purposes. Now, I also want to see the flip side of that, what Buffalo is going to do, because they haven't been able to get over the hump and beat New England in a big spot in forever. So, this game is more about Buffalo than it is New England, but the reason why I highlight New England is because this could be a death knell for this team this year, and we don't have to worry about Belichick, we don't have to worry about the Patriot logo, we don't have to worry about their history, and none of that. It's over and done with. And I'm not going to declare that this is the end of the Belichick era. Because watch them have a 6-10 and 10 record, they'll have a great draft choice next year, and who knows, maybe they'll bring in a few free agents that, with one last push, and they need a quarterback. Because to me, Cam Newton, and I'm not going to base it all on yesterday, but we know he's not the long-term answer. So this game is fascinating in, on both regards, for both New England and Buffalo, but to me this is more about New England, and if they lose this game, you might as well bury them in Orchard Park, because their 2020 season will be left right there on that turf, In Western New York next Sunday But the other games Are you going to get crazy about the Rams At Miami And I didn't mention this last week Bad job on my part Tua Tagovailoa came in the game against the Jets Threw a couple of passes And then earlier this week Was named the starter For the rest of the season Which was heartbreaking to Ryan Fitzpatrick Who as we all know Is a great guy A good soldier Thought that maybe he could Carry the mail for this team As long as they can 3-3 and record they already have a loss against Buffalo, but maybe they could be a fringe team in the AFC as the season moves along. But now with two at the helm, that certainly remains to be seen. So you had that game, maybe it could be a little bit of intrigue just to see two in his first ever start in the National Football League. Besides that, New Orleans and Chicago. I know that's a 425 game, but I believe the San Francisco-Seattle game is the highlight game. But that's a game that doesn't get me crazy by any stretch. Because I, I'm not a big believer in Chicago I understand the defense is good But uh, Even with Nick Foles there And here are the rest of your slate Chargers at Denver The Jets at Kansas City What is the point spread on that game right now? That's got to be 17 points minimum Minnesota at Green Bay I get that it's a division game But the Vikings are going nowhere fast Indianapolis at Detroit Vegas at Cleveland Tennessee at Cincinnati Again just a Brutal week 8 schedule I don't know how else to cut it it's just it's bad other than Pittsburgh Baltimore and San Francisco Seattle and I'll give you that only because it's a huge game for San Francisco and yes you want to say New England Buffalo because it could be the end of New England for the year okay but besides that you got nothing and that's going to conclude the NFL segment here as we transition over to college football and with the Big Ten back I'm sure a lot of people think that maybe now we could look at the college football landscape as a whole. We still have to wait for the Pac-12, which will be the week after next, for them to be ushered into the college football realm. But right now with the Big Ten, obviously with Michigan, Ohio State, and the likes of that, Wisconsin, but Penn State was the headline of the weekend, losing that tough game at Indiana, 36-35. They had a 28-20 lead late. And then they got a last-minute touchdown and two-point conversion from their quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. And as they go into the overtime, Penn State, right out of the gate, gets the go-ahead touchdown. The Indiana quarterback and their offense, they counter with a touchdown of their own, but instead of kicking the extra point and extending the overtime, they actually go for two. And Penix Jr. did everything he could to get that ball across the plane of the goal line stretched out knee wasn't down was in bounds 36-35 just a heroic performance there to get indiana an upset victory in their building and penn state who a lot of people thought could be part of the playoff mix at the end of the season well it looks like that's not going to be the case so they suffered just a brutal loss for them and they'll go up against ohio state this week which ohio state came out and destroyed nebraska Justin Fields was near perfect, 20 for 21, 276 yards, threw for two TDs, ho-hum performance there for the Buckeyes, and again, Ohio State-Penn State, a little early, you would like to see that game maybe in the fourth or fifth game of the season, but we know with the condensed schedule, they had to play it early, and you're going to see Ohio State-Penn State next week, which is the highlight game of the week, and spoiler alert, you do not have a lot of good games next week, if any, other than Michigan State and Michigan next week which we understand that's a rivalry that goes back with those two schools, but you've got zero intrigue on the college football schedule this coming Saturday. So put it out there right now. Trevor Lawrence and the story continues there with Clemson. Same with Alabama as they destroy Tennessee, but in both of those games, you had a pick six for the first time in Trevor Lawrence's college career. And to think that that's newsworthy, that just goes to show you what Clemson is all about and we understand they're playing a terrible conference in the ACC but sure enough they were able to cruise to their victory but that was the story of note there in that game and then with Alabama beating up on Tennessee tough break for the wide receiver there Jalen Waddell who left uh, after the opening kickoff with a lower leg injury wasn't determined as to what the injury was but Nick Saban did say that he's not going to come back for the rest of the season which is a tough blow For a team that relies on that tandem that they have there Down in Tuscaloosa So no Jalen Waddell For the rest of this year We talked about Wisconsin And what they did in their opening start Where the quarterback Graham Mertz threw for 248 yards with 5 touchdowns A great start to his college career But unfortunately was tested positive For COVID-19 So you know he's going to be On the mend and Going to be quarantined here now, I have to look to see who Wisconsin's playing this upcoming week, but you would think he is going to be holed up somewhere on campus and we'll have to have their fingers crossed that he gets, I believe, not one, not two, but three negative tests to come back to him. And if that were to happen, I would think he would play this coming week, but certainly has to be on pins and needles and fingers crossed on whether or not he's going to come back. So we'll keep an eye out on that. You had Michigan beating up on Minnesota there and your highlight game there Saturday night no surprise there and Oklahoma State beating Iowa State 24-21 they're the sixth ranked team in the country that's the only reason why I bring them up so taking a look at the college football rankings as of right this second we know about Clemson Alabama they're going to be your one and two Ohio State even after one game they're ranked number three which is going to piss off the alumni and everybody at South Bend who follow the Fighting Irish and Notre Dame They're ranked number four right now. Georgia actually stays at five, where Oklahoma State is at six. Cincinnati there, ranked number seven in the country with a 4 no record, but no one expects them to crack the top four unless you just get total chaos with the top four teams. And you figure Clemson and Alabama, they're going to be scot-free no matter what. Even if they both have a loss under their belt, they're going to make it to the final four. It's just a matter of what the other two teams, the three and four, are going to do and they would have to have monumental collapses in order for a team like Cincinnati to make it into the top four. And then you round it out with uh, Texas A&M, Wisconsin, and Florida are your top 10 as we move forward in this college football season. And who knows what the Pac-12 will be in two weeks, what teams will come out of there. You don't think you're going to have a team of note that may crack the top four. Still remains to be seen, but uh, they still have a couple of weeks before they get their season started. And that's going to be a college football, people. Other than that, the Penn State-Indiana game was your highlight of the weekend. All the other things, everything else was just chalk. And your schedule this weekend, you might as well just skip the whole Saturday unless you get an upset. Because as much as you want to embrace college football, people, it is definitely a game where it's going to be dominated by the contenders and the pretenders. They're going to have to somehow, way, muscle their way up into the... rankings and the standings. And even with that, it doesn't guarantee them a spot at the top four for them to get themselves in a player for a national championship. So something you got to keep in mind there as we continue to tick away here at this college football season. All right, a couple of things before I get to my hero and zero of the week. And remember, I gotta get to my sports dilemma for the diehard like myself or even the casual sports fan as what to expect here maybe as early as tomorrow night. So stay tuned for that. But the NBA early this week came out, or last week I should say, came out with a report that they're looking to start the season before Christmas with a 72-game schedule, a play-in tournament. You won't have an all-star game in Indianapolis where it was scheduled originally. Now, there also may be a possible two-week break in the middle of that. And then your season would finish up right before the Summer Olympics. So the first thing that comes to mind is, are there not going to be any NBA players playing in Japan for next year's Olympics? I don't know what the latest is on that. I'm sure it's far from the minds of the NBA players right now as they're just looking to see what the upcoming season has in store. But as of now, it doesn't look like this is going to be agreed upon until the end of the week. Chances are, I believe it's going to be Friday the 30th from what I read. Because what they're going to have to do is, remember, they would have to agree with the Players Association, of course the commissioners, with this deadline, they would have to modify the CBA for the upcoming season because 72 games obviously is not 82. And you also have to remember there aren't going to be any fans in the building, at least from the start of the season, if it were to be the week before Christmas, days before Christmas, whatever it may be. So you got to factor that into it because as we know, 40% of the revenue that's generated by the league is through the gates and revenue per game with fans being in the stands. And as we all know, these are arenas that are enclosed. You can't have pockets of fans like you've seen in football or college football. So they're still working on that. And later this week, they'll have that deadline to see whether or not they're going to start this season come late December. Now, it's tricky because a lot of people would think Christmas Day would be the perfect day. As we all know, that's when the NBA season doesn't officially begin during a normal year. But that's a day that we look forward to where we have a full slate of NBA games or at least the five games that start from noon and will end sometime after 1 a.m. But you also have to remember there's a football game that's going to be played on Christmas Day, 4.30 in New Orleans with the Vikings and Saints. And we understand they can't change that game, but if you're Roger Goodell, that is a game that you want to push to the Sunday schedule as quick, fast, and in a hurry as you possibly can because no one's going to care about that game. And I understand the NFL fan will tune in. It's great to have your Christmas dinner and to watch over, but pardon my guys, HeadStyle and Kevin the Viking fan who are two of the biggest Viking fans I know, uh, that's a game that's going to put you to sleep. I'm sorry. But the NBA right now, they're just going to try to get their upcoming season off on the right foot. We don't know when the start date's going to be. 72 games would be probably the best they could do. Who knows what the floor would be if that's going to be their ceiling. So we'll have to wait until word comes down on whether or not they're going to have a season start in late December. And again, not have an all-star game and a two-week break in the middle and have it done before July 23rd because I believe that's when the Olympics were to begin next year or are to begin. So we'll keep our eyes peeled for that. And one other thing, I know people are going to say, well, why can't they bubble the regular season? They're not going to do that either, people. They were only able to do that for the playoffs because it's the postseason. You're not going to have these players in a bubble for five, six months at a time. It's bad enough you had them in for three months if you're the Lakers in the heat in this particular case. But you're not going to bubble them in a regular season. And not only that, I'm sure they're going to do their best to restrict travel when it comes to the schedule. So for instance, I don't know what they're going to do about the East versus West, if they are going to do that, but even if they were to implement a schedule where you're going to have the East and West play each other, I'm sure, take the Celtics for instance, whenever they go to LA, they're going to play both the Lakers and Clippers, I'm sure, on back-to-back nights. Or the one game they'll play, have a day off, and then go back and play said team the following night. Or if they're going to go up the coast and play Sacramento and Golden State. Obviously, they're within 90 minutes of one another. They could play those two teams on back-to-back nights or every other night, whatever it may be. So I'm sure that's what's going to be the case. And also for the team that goes west to east with the Knicks, Brooklyn Nets, same deal. So let's see what they're going to propose here. Let's see if they can iron out whatever they can to have a 72-game season. And we'll see what comes out of that meeting. Now keep in mind, you have a scenario with the Toronto Raptors They're going to follow the same blueprint of the Toronto Blue Jays where the government officials north of the border, they're not going to allow travel from the US into Canada when it comes to the NBA. So for whatever it's worth, the Raptors right now are looking to play games in various sites, whether it's Louisville, Kentucky, which to me makes no sense. They have a big arena there where they could host their NBA games. I would think... Why can't they strike a deal In Buffalo With the Sabres To see if they could get their games played there Now of course We understand scheduling Who knows what the building is going to Look like And the NHL doesn't even know When their season is going to begin But I would think With the Blue Jays playing their Baseball games In Buffalo With their minor league affiliate Why can't the Raptors do the same there? Why are they looking at Louisville, Kentucky To play their home games? So they have that to contend with on top of everything else that's going on. So that's something to keep an eye out as well. As far as some hires, you had Stan Van Gundy, four-year deal with the New Orleans Pelicans. That's not a decision I would have made. I would have gone somewhere else. If you listened to my podcast last week, I would have hired a guy with a little bit of better pedigree. Now, that's not to knock Stan Van Gundy. He's been a coach in this league a long time. But as we know, he has not been able to take his team to the next level, even though that Miami Heat team is, he was that close in 2005, but we all know Pat Riley took over in 06 and away we go. But even with his stops in Orlando and Detroit, I get that he has a much better roster on this team with the Pelicans than he has with the previous teams, but I would have gone with a more championship, pedigree type of coach. I'm not going to say a Tyron Lou. We all know he got signed by the Clippers, but someone of that ilk, someone that you know that could take this young talent and hopefully develop and three, four years from now could get to the promised land. But kudos to them Hopefully Van Gundy will be a good fit there And the Indiana Pacers hired the Raptors assistant Nate Bjorkren. Is that how you pronounce his name? So they plucked the assistant from Nick Nurse's staff And supposedly he's a guy that's similar to Nick Nurse And if that's going to be the case The Pacers will be in good hands to have him at the helm So we'll see how he performs there As he gets his first NBA coaching gig And then I read a rumor about Gordon Hayward being traded to Indiana, speaking of the Pacers. Saw something where he's in the last year of his contract, player option, that would the Celtics deal him? Now, of course, they're going to have to take contracts back. They're not going to get draft picks by any stretch. Maybe they get one, a second round. But they're not going to get the Pacers' first round pick. They're going to have to take contracts back. Who that is right now, I don't know. Does that mean Malcolm Brogdon? Chances are they're not going to trade him. They just signed him. To a long term deal But they're going to have to Set the contracts Equivalent to what Gordon Hayward's making And that's 34 million this coming year And you know he's not going to opt out of that A la Al Horford that he did last year Which he did the Celtics a favor When you think about it So Hayward may be going elsewhere Ainge hasn't refuted that Or hasn't come on the air Or even Had an interview where He's Confirming that So we'll keep an eye on what's going to happen with Hayward as far as his tenure with the Celtics is concerned. And then with the NHL, nothing really going on there other than there's going to be no Winter Classic. And I didn't realize it was between St. Louis and Minnesota. It was going to be played at Target Field. And then with that being said, no All-Star Weekend, which were to take place down in Florida, the home of the Panthers. So that has been 86th from the NHL calendar. So those are two events that you won't have to look forward to if you're a big hockey fan. Now before I get to my hero and zero of the week, here's the sports dilemma that us fans have to endure here over the next few months because we know at this time here, October 26th, if this was a regular year, we'd be about three weeks into an NHL season and about a week and a half, maybe a little bit more than a week into an NBA season. And we understand that a lot of people do not pay attention to the winter sports this early on because right now everything is football centric and if you're a baseball fan, you're concentrating on the World Series. And with game six being tomorrow night and a possible conclusion to a sprint of a baseball season down in Arlington, it brings up the question that nobody has brought up. What are we going to watch as sports fans after that last out was recorded? People are going to say of course J. Reels we got the NFL Sunday all day Monday night Thursday night What could we What could go wrong? Alright so what are you going to do about Tuesday Wednesday Friday And even Saturday Because college football right now As I just talked about Although it's in full effect But nobody's going to gravitate to College football right about now They're going to wait to the bowl season They're going to wait to Those final four matchups That they're going to take place on New Year's Eve For anybody to really get involved Or really follow On a play-by-play basis Because the regular fan And even maybe the die-hard sports fan They're not going to run to the sets To watch Michigan, Michigan State on Saturday Nobody's going to do that Or even Ohio State, Penn State For someone like myself Will I be intrigued? Yes If I'm around Will I turn it on just to see what's going on? Absolutely But you think I'm going to turn on the TV At 7.30 p.m. I believe the game's on ABC and I'm going to be with popcorn and whatever drink in hand to watch three and a half hours of Ohio State, Penn State? Sorry. I'm not going to do that. So when we look at baseball getting ready to be ushered on its way out for 2020 and knowing that we still have an NBA offseason where there's going to be a draft and some semblance of free agency and we know there's not a Plethora of juicy or sexy free agents That are going to be out there Unlike last year A la Kyrie Kevin Durant Jimmy Butler etc But all we can look at right now is Football College basketball They're not even going to count in my book And nobody watches college basketball Until March Madness And who knows what the status is Of college basketball as of right now Because As we've seen over the last couple of years College basketball doesn't even start Over the Thanksgiving weekend It starts a couple weeks before that And we don't know what the status is As of right this second As to what college basketball When it's going to be played When it's going to start, etc So if you're a sports fan out there It's going to be Almost like the pandemic The way it was at the start From March through late July But in this case We're going to have to deal with Post-pandemic In a sports world Because Other than football What is there to watch? And people will say, well, wait, Jay Reels, next weekend is the Masters. All right, that's four days we're going to take a look at. We know about the Masters and how glorious it is. It's the tradition like no other. But as we all know, the Masters, that's an event that takes place in April, where the flowers are blooming and the azaleas are blossoming. And that's when we look at the Masters. What if we get 50 degree windy days in Atlanta? It's not going to have the same effect. Are we going to watch? Are we going to follow? Absolutely. But at the same time, you almost have to think, oh, wait a minute, the Masters is this weekend because of the way the sports calendar has transpired due to COVID-19. So for you, me, and everybody out there that's listening, it's going to be a cold, long winter until the NHL and NBA start up again because other than the NFL. And I've told you about some of these matchups in prime time. That you're gonna have to sit in front of your TV and watch a Tampa Bay Giant Monday night football game where there's nothing else to watch, where you can't even say, or oh, maybe there's an NBA game on, or oh, you know who the Rangers playing if you're here in New York, or the Islanders. Uh uh-uh, uh, nothing. So be ready, people. You've been forewarned. That until the other winter sports Start to kick in the gear And let's hope that they come to an agreement with the NBA On October 30th As to when the season will begin Because after a celebration Whether it's for the Los Angeles Dodgers Or the Tampa Bay Rays The sports world is going to be as close to dark As we could possibly forecast it And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better In the near future Now to my hero and zero of the week My hero of the week is Habib Nurmagomedov The MMA fighter Who fought on Saturday night In Abu Dhabi Against Justin Gaitha And by defeating him Goes off into the sunset Into retirement This was his first fight After the passing of his father Due to COVID-19 And actually it was reported That he fought this fight With a broken foot So for him to Arguably be the best fighter In MMA history With a 29-0 record in MMA And After his victory You can see him crying Kneeling to the canvas And knowing that this was going to be his last chance Who knows With these fighters Especially when it comes to boxing These guys can come out of retirement In the drop of a dime But as of right now Habib, You are my hero of the week And my zero of the week Is former NFL All-Pro lineman Dana Stubblefield Who was recently sentenced 15 years to life in prison for raping a woman with a developmental disability what more can I say on that I understand that there may be a situation where this could go back to trial there has been some reports where he is innocent that although he did engage in this woman but not forcibly using his will against this woman but no matter how you cut it this story is as sordid, as sad and just as terrible as it could possibly be so I'm going to leave it at that. Dana Stubblefield is my zero of the week. And that'll do it for episode 161, my good people. I greatly appreciate you all for taking an opportunity to download and listen into your earbuds or speakers what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. And like I said at the top, if you haven't done so already, please, I implore you to rate Subscribe, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, Whether it's on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Amazon Music Or wherever you get your podcasts All that's going to do by rating, subscribing, reviewing Is going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there And in turn to generate some interest for those outside who do not know who J Reels is Or the J Reels podcast so I can get them on as guests So whether that's the former or current athlete The broadcaster The sports writer Blogger Studio host Whomever that may be As I try to Behind the scenes As a one man operation Do my best To get those type of people On to discuss their journeys Or discuss their experiences Of life on the field Off the field From the broadcast booth From the Press box Etc So if you could do that People I greatly appreciate it Also if you want to follow me On any of my social media accounts Or even send me A message A DM Or an email You could do so At the following on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast On Twitter, J Reels 1, just the number On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast On my fan page And an email the old-fashioned way Is the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com Please send me any questions, comments, criticism, praise Whatever it may be I'll be sure to follow up, right back, whatever That's on your mind As I love to have an open dialogue An open forum with you guys And then lastly, if you want to support my work and push a few dollars my way And I can promise you 100% goes to the production Everything behind the scenes As far as advertising, marketing Of this podcast You could do so at www.patreon.com Slash the J Reels Podcast And that's Patreon P is in Paul A T is in Tom R E O N is in Anti. Dot com Anything that you want to contribute I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it What that platform is For me to Not only enhance this podcast To deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports To entertain and inform you on what's going on But also at the same time Since I am a one man operation And I'm trying to do my best to Bring in various guests And do my best for you guys To not only provide a quality source And a product unlike any other For someone who's just doing it on its own But whether it's your first time Or your 161st time You know that this is what I love to do I love to talk sports With a passion and a fire Unlike any other Anything That's happening On the world of the diamond On the world of the ice On the world of the gridiron On the world of the hardwood The golf course Racetrack Tennis court You name it From my lips to your ears From my heart to your soul From where I am To wherever you are The J Reels Podcast Always comes correct direct, and in full effect From the South Bronx To South Beach To South Central To South Pacific And all points beyond Peace, love and God bless everybody and until next time On the J Reels Podcast On the flip, baby.